Off the Pacific coast of Canada sits the largest island on the western side of the Americas. Known today as Vancouver Island, the New Channel, Coast Salish, and Kokwakwak peoples have stewarded this land since time immemorial, well before recorded history. The island is known for its breathtaking beaches, pristine forest getaways, and awe-inspiring wildlife. Reflecting and encapsulating all of these natural wonders in their traditions and cultures are the more than 50 unique indigenous communities that call Vancouver Island home. My name is Chadis Leo from the Homalco First Nation and I'm thankful to call this island my home. I would like to welcome you to episode one of the second season of Indigenous Voices of Vancouver Island, a five-part podcast series experiencing Vancouver Island through the stories of Indigenous communities, businesses, and changemakers. Last season, we shared with you some of the opportunities there are to experience this incredible piece of the world by examining destinations, adventures, trips, and food. This season, we'll delve a bit deeper into cultures of the First Nations of Vancouver Island and how their special relationship with the land finds its place in 21st century business. While our focus has broadened, our goals for this season remain unchanged. I hope to encourage you to visit Vancouver Island to see firsthand the magnificence of this place I call home and to inspire you with these stories of resilience, achievement, and innovation told by the originators themselves, the indigenous people of Vancouver Island. This podcast is made possible by 4VI, an organization dedicated to ensuring travel remains a force for good on Vancouver Island forever. These podcasts would not be possible without the many Indigenous tourism businesses that have contributed their insights and time. This first episode is called Indigenous Women in Business. And you're about to meet three impressive changemakers who are successfully infusing traditional Indigenous values into commercial enterprises and forging a new path for their family and their communities. So let's get started. Our first guest is Aaron Brillen of Totem Design House out of Comox on Vancouver Island. Aaron is of Haida and Cree heritage, and like several entrepreneurs, she did not start out with a vision of running her own business. Entrepreneurship was not necessarily a path that I would have chosen for myself had I not actually needed to. So I had spent the previous decade working in the nonprofit realm and I was doing really incredible work with Indigenous youth and families. And I loved that work. Like that was really a passion of mine to um, basically promote culture, health and wellness with our people. And the unfortunate part of that that part of work is um, you're constantly applying for grants to keep the work going. And I unfortunately ran into a lull in my, my work. And at the same time, I was coordinating this art program 
And so my daughter was a part of the program and we were learning how to screen print. And so essentially what I had developed with this program was this um, social enterprise where we were teaching entrepreneurship to indigenous youth. So we were showing them how to make art and then how to make products with their art on it, like t-shirts, and then we were going to markets and selling them. So essentially my business started simultaneously along with these, um, this social enterprise that I had started. For Erin, the Indigenous tradition of working with family is very much realized in her business. Uh, we design and produce an array of Northwest Coast Native art, apparel, jewelry, um, wellness products. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a quite large array of products that we offer, everything from giftware to clothing. Um, and so I primarily work with my husband, Andy Everson, and my brother, Jesse Berlin, um, so when I first started the business, I was using my brother's designs. Um, he basically just handed me his sketchbook and said, use whatever you want. And so I was just learning how to screen print. My daughter was screen printing with me, and that's essentially how we got started. While entrepreneurship may be something Erin was new to, the design and cultural art scene has been very much a part of her life from a young age. Well, the interesting part of the story is that I literally grew up in the native art world. So um, from a really young age, when my mom moved us to the city in Vancouver, it was it was like sort of the pinnacle time for native art, especially Northwest Coast native art. Because I was able to be surrounded by the, the artists, all of the prominent artists in Northwest Coast art. And from a very young age at 14 years old, I was helping my mom put on art shows and helping these artists promote their work and market their work. Erin describes her move into the art world and opening her own business as a matter of survival. Raising five children on her own had always put a sharp focus to her priorities, providing the basics. But as her kids grew up and her contracts expired at her other job, she decided to take a chance on herself. But if needing to pay her bills propelled her into business, the inequity she saw growing up in the art world inspired her. What I saw during that period is how it was mostly non-Indigenous owned companies that were profiting from Native art, whether it was the galleries or, you know, the gift producers. There's a lot of companies now that produce um, giftware with Native art designs on it, and they were getting rich off of the artwork, but none of the actual artists were. And so this was something that had always like the social justice aspect of it really never sat right with me. Um, seeing Native artists struggling and, you know, other people getting rich off of the artwork. Essentially, what I want to do is to kind of like create a pathway for other artists to show them that there is a way to make more money with their artwork by creating reproducibles. And so I do a lot of mentorship with Indigenous artists and sharing suppliers and helping them get product lines going and things like that. So that's a big part of it. For me, it's not because I want to dominate the market. I just think that Indigenous artists in general should be the ones who profit first and foremost from this market. Erin was quite clear that honoring her heritage was more than making sure Indigenous art was presented well and that the compensation flowed to the source. Her entire business encompasses values she attributes to her Indigenous heritage and the value system instilled in her. The four pillars that we operate on 
are one, that we are as eco-friendly as possible. And that means that we are constantly looking for ways to become more and more responsible with the materials that we source, um, how we make things with our waste and ways that we can contribute to um, the betterment of the environment and our planet and to, to like lighten our footprint on the planet. So there's no perfect way of being in business, but we look at every aspect and try to make it the most eco-friendly as we possibly can. Even when we're paying more for things, it's, it's a conscious choice that we make. The second part is that we source things as locally as possible because as indigenous people, that's how we would have operated traditionally. We would have looked at the closest people, our closest neighbors, our closest allies, we would be trading with them. And so that's what we do in our own community. Like for example, we get all of our recycled tags, like hang tags for our clothing. We get those produced locally. So we have a great relationship with the local printer. Like we, we try to forge as much connection and local business um, connection as, as possible. Some things we cannot get manufactured in Canada and that's just how it goes. And we do have to go overseas to get like fleece blankets made, for example. So it's not hundred percent local, but we do our best to create that local economy. The other part is that we are a social enterprise and we give back. So because I'm passionate about the empowerment and health and well-being of my people, we um, give 10% of our profits every year to Copper Legacy Indigenous Empowerment Society. And through Copper Legacy, we're able to give grants and give funding to grassroots Indigenous programs. And then the final thing is that we we share cultural knowledge through our products. Like we're not just making products for people to just buy and consume and, and just go, oh, like it's nice looking and that's why we bought it. We literally provide stories. We provide a link to a cultural connection to kind of bridge an understanding between us and non-Indigenous people, but also for Indigenous people to like understand more about, you know, the West Coast culture. Knowing that part of Erin's desired outcomes was that she'd leave the world and her community stronger, I had to ask what advice she would give someone thinking of starting their own business. My first thing is always about confidence and you have to be in a position where you just don't doubt yourself. You just have to be persistent. I think that's probably my strongest quality is that it doesn't matter how many things like blow up in my face. I'm like out of my way. I'm still going. I'm still, you know, working towards my goals and I'm not going to be slowed down or stopped. Solid advice for Indigenous women with a vision to be their own boss. Solid advice for everyone from Erin Brillen of Totem Design. To learn more about Erin's work for artists and to check out her brother or daughter's work, go to totemdesignhouse.com. Our second impressive woman entrepreneur is Ali Asu. From the Wet'suwet'en First Nations on her mother's side and on her father's side, she is a second generation newcomer. Her father immigrated from Vietnam. She currently resides in her husband's territory on the Campbell River Reserve. She is the brains behind West Coast Wildflowers Collective and now a couple other businesses. But it was first a career change brought on by outside forces that launched her into the entrepreneurial space. 
Uh, Denise, Skyze, Sakotse, Haritsoten. My name is Alia Sue. I'm from the Wet'suwet'en First Nations on my mother's side and on my father's side. I'm a second generation newcomer. Uh, my father immigrated from Vietnam and currently I reside in my husband's territory and we live on the Campbell River Reserve here in, in Campbell River. So West Coast wildflowers was kind of, you know, seeds that were planted and kind of bloomed into this wildflower community project is how I like to call it. Uh, before West Coast Wildflowers, I worked with iSpark, um, Indigenous Sport BC, and I managed the North American Indigenous Games and the National Aboriginal Hockey Championships for seven years. And when COVID happened, I felt really called to support authentic Indigenous and to support many Canadian families across the country with a focus on supporting local, buy local, grow local. And so that's what I did. I did a career pivot. I launched this business as an e-commerce on the Quinsum Reserve. And shortly after, I did a Christmas pop-up. And uh, since then, we then tripled our expansion. And so 80% of our inventory in our store is from Canadian families with a, a very strong focus on authentic Indigenous and making sure that we can make connections. Are they with Indigenous Tourism BC? Do they know what community they're from? What community work are they doing? Do their values align with what our store is, the direction that our store is moving? Her pride in the work being done in the communities came through in every word, and her passion for sharing authentic Indigenous products was clear. What emerged in my discussion with Ali is a theme I heard from Erin Berlin. The goal of empowering Indigenous people, and especially women, to own and operate their own businesses. So really what this has, has meant to me was giving safe shopping experience, a safe cultural space that Indigenous makers feel like we deserved this time to be in competitive retail spaces. That often what you see in gas stations or high tourist traffic destinations don't often carry Indigenous owned and operated. They may be supporting authentic Indigenous makers and paying royalties, but I think that Indigenous businesses, my, my big push is that we've reached a time in, in our generation that we can build our own generational wealth and build community space for that. Ali's enthusiasm for what she has built and where she sees this all going belies the very real challenges she faced in getting the business up and running. Certainly when you are an Indigenous person, and I was like one of the few Indigenous businesses at the heart of downtown Campbell River, you kind of walk two paths um, and two roads, and they're certainly different and diverse and distinct. It's your Indigenous community that's keeping you accountable to making sure that you're bringing in sustainable and authentic Indigenous. And then it's catering to kind of our non-Indigenous customers. And sometimes that can be a difficult path and difficult conversations. But I mean, that's what it is about building a community. Some of the struggles, for example, because I was a full-time staff at a company and I jumped from being an entrepreneur and self-employed and my husband is self-employed as a fourth generation commercial fisherman. We actually weren't eligible for financing through banks or loans because our home on reserve is valued 
at nothing. So we bootstrapped the entire business until year two to demonstrate our sales. And we're very lucky to have hit some incredible numbers in year one and year two. And yeah, we'll be celebrating year three in business with three businesses this November. One of the advantages Ali points to is being an Indigenous woman entrepreneur. I think, you know, I'm very fortunate to have collaborated and worked with other Indigenous businesses on Vancouver Island and Vancouver, you know, such as Tonum Design House, Squall and Botanicals, Satya. Patrice with Satya um, is, is certainly a mentor and a dear, a dear friend. What's different, I think, when you're an Indigenous woman in business is that there's so few of us kind of at that high caliber in competitive retail spaces. You know, for example, we share operations manager, we share suppliers for labels or grant information that there's more is more. And that's what I, I find different and, and exciting is that let's all kind of uplift each other. There's certainly very few and far between of kind of crabs in a bucket that we often can hear in Indigenous communities and, and bringing other entrepreneurs down. Yeah, and that in business, you have to have a thick skin, but I find that from an Indigenous lens and working with other Indigenous women, that it doesn't have to be as thick and that there's a lot of collaboration and it's a really beautiful thing to be a part of. Falling in line with the kind of uplifting that Ali felt she had been gifted from other Indigenous women, she was quick to share advice to guide others just starting out. I think the best advice that I've been given and the best advice that I've received is find a mentor or an expert in the field that in which you're going to. That is everything that I could recommend because you may not, if you're jumping into retail, you may not know what margins and SKUs and UPC codes and, and Shopify and all the things that you need. A bookkeeper is different than, you know, your accountant, all of these things. There's so much financial literacy and food security aren't often taught in, in our communities. And so having a business coach, no matter what field that you go in, that would be my advice. And that's the advice that I often give to young Indigenous entrepreneurs who approach me. When asked about the future, Ali stayed true to her Indigenous values and spoke of giving back and building opportunities for those who follow. Hopefully three years from now, we are at a place of sustainable and attainable growth that we have increased even more than what we have as Indigenous women, a part of our team, that our scholarship and bursary programs and all the community donations, that we can still maintain that and if not surpass what we've already done. My first year, we were able to donate $6,000 to my community during a time when we didn't have access to water in Northern BC. And, you know, we had to buy bottled waters uh, during a heat wave. There's so many amazing things that this community has done to support West Coast Wildflowers, and I can only hope that that continues. You've just been listening to Ali Asu from West Coast Wildflowers. If you'd like to learn more about Ali and any of her businesses, go to wcwildflowers.ca. Our last of the three interviews is with one of Ali's partners in Ravensong Soap. Hi, my name is Valerie Lamorandi, and I am the founder and owner of Ravensong Soap and Candle, and I'm also the creative director. I live here in Campbell River, and my business is here in Campbell River. 
but I was born and raised on Haida Gwaii and I'm from the Haida Nation. Ravensong Soap and Candle is producer, we produce um, all body products like soap and candles, bath bombs and moon cakes. But I started making soap about 25 years ago just as a hobby. And it was a hobby that got a little bit out of control. And I was in the corporate world when I first started doing it as a hobby and I would do it just in the evenings and on weekends and started doing markets. So we do a lot of soaps. I base all of my soaps and products and inspirations on my First Nations roots and focus on indigenous medicine, indigenous ingredients. And I try to tell our indigenous stories through my soaps and scents, which when you look at my brand, you'll see that my brand says every scent tells a story. And I try to connect all of the scents in all of my products back to stories that are nostalgic or based in culture or those kind of things. Not unlike Erin and Allie, Valerie was on a very different path when she discovered her passion for creativity. For me, when I started um, my, my business, uh, of course it was built on a passion for having an outlet, a creative outlet that I had always been looking for. Although I had my my training in office management and business office management and was in that that world for quite a while. I never really felt at home there because I was always looking for a creative outlet. I was trying all different things like photography, macrame, painting, everything. You know, I was taking classes at the college. Nothing was really speaking to me. And one day a girlfriend who had, I had hosted a bridal shower for her, she came into my office and this was about 25 years ago and as a thank you for hosting her bridal shower she gifted me a small bar of soap that she had made up the month before and i remember her putting that bar of soap in my hand and i went you made this and i was just amazed and she said yeah i just kind of got a book from the library and i decided to make a batch while raven song is an undeniable success Valerie can easily recall the challenges she had to overcome. Even with the dedicated support of her husband and family, the path was not an easy one. Back when I was trying to get it set up, it was just like, oh, she's just making soap in her kitchen. And I wasn't taken seriously. And it was hard to find people that took me seriously and wanted to work for me and not just take my money and just pat me on the head and send me on my way. Valerie had a couple starts and restarts on things like her website and in retrospect feels that she could have made it a little easier on herself if she had tapped into the networks available to her sooner. I think our cultural connection gives us so much strength and so much power within ourselves and the, the connection and the webs of support that are within the Indigenous communities are so strong. And to be honest, I didn't tap into that until about six years ago when I had a few local makers that were Indigenous makers, like my business partner now, who would come to me and say, why aren't you listed as an Indigenous business? To be honest, because I was from Haida Gwaii and working in this territory, I didn't feel it was my right to be going around and saying, I'm an Indigenous business in Campbell River when I wasn't from that band. So that was a bit of a hurdle for me. Once I got over that hurdle and embraced that I am an Indigenous business, that I'm a First Nations woman in business, and I could say that even though I was on 
the Wewakai territory and the, you know, all of the different territories, I was able to tap into that really strong support system and, you know, reach out to NEDC for support and to um, Indigenous tourism. And it took my business from just this small business in Campbell River to something that is growing exponentially and bigger than I had anticipated to a point where I had to bring on a business partner. And um, that was because I started to embrace that I was an Indigenous woman in business and tap into that strength. And, uh, and I saw the difference was, was quite glaring for me. Even my husband was like, why didn't we think this before? But I think in my mind, I felt like a little bit of a fraud being in this territory and being Haida, but I've learned it doesn't matter. We all just support each other. And now I can go to like the indigenous tourism conferences and tap into all of the training and all of that stuff that's available to me. And it just has made Raven Song so much stronger and given me a confidence that I otherwise would not have had. And Valerie has some parting advice for those who come after her. Stay close to your culture, look to the knowledge keepers and our elders, and always remember where you came from and to be using that base as your strength and for things to build on and move forward. Um, We do have what now myself, I didn't really think about it before, but now I'm in my 60s, I'm considered an elder (laughs) and one of the knowledge keepers. And now I'm mentoring a First Nations young woman. And that those are one some of the things that we talk about is to always make sure we remember where we've come from and to tap into that for our strengths. And in most um, First Nations communities and cultures, our Haida culture is matriarchal. So everything is handed down through the women. Um, for example, our chieftainship is handed to the oldest sister's oldest son. And the men hold the position of the chiefs, but the women are their advisors. That's kind of where I'm feeling I'm at is I, I, I can mentor and advise. And that to me is, is really strong how it feels in me. And knowing that's what our culture is, it gives me that confidence to step forward and have my voice heard because historically, Indigenous women were heard in their culture, not like other cultures where the women aren't heard and they're not supposed to be heard. In our culture, we are supposed to be heard and they're respected. And even though I was a little bit shy and a little bit meeker when I was in my 20s and 30s, since I've connected to my hydroculture and reconnected with my elders and my culture a little bit more, you know, I did some globe trotting and lived in Japan and lived in Vancouver and was hairdressing and everything and was going in my own path. You know, I felt I didn't feel that strength as a woman. But when I reconnected with my culture and started going home more often and understanding what the matriarchal society was about and seeing it firsthand, my aunt, who was one of our really strong matriarchs and knowledge keepers and spoke Haida fluently and taught in the schools, and my uncle, who was our hereditary chief, who respected her so much and looked to her for guidance. And then my new, um, our new hereditary chief, who has succeeded my uncle, is Gu Zhao. And he always looks to his sisters for support. Like if he's going to have a potlatch, the first thing he does is sits down with his sisters and gets their advice. So it gives me the strength and the courage to know that my voice is supposed to be heard. 
Very impressive and encouraging words for all those young indigenous women looking to build their future and find their own true path. That is it for this edition of Indigenous Voices of Vancouver Island, Indigenous Women in Business. If you'd like to hear more of these series, make sure you check out Season 1, available wherever you get your favourite podcasts, and stay tuned for our next episode of Season 2, Traditions. I'm Chattis Leo on behalf of 4VI.